Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. I am your host, James Christopher, and this is the 19th episode of Let's Get Two, which, if I'm doing the math correctly, means that our show is halfway through its first year of college. And I uh, really hope that it's going to school, taking care of its studies, staying away from parties, and, uh, you know, the only real excuse to miss class is a good baseball game. Today, the show goes to the dogs because we will be talking to the Midland Rockhounds, the Erie Seawolves, and we had a really fun day with puppies at the Dell Diamond. We're also going to be going international because we'll be talking to our favorite British Astros fan about the London series coming up. And a Canadian came down from Toronto and took in a Round Rock game and an Astros game with me. So much fun. Hope you stick with us. We basically spent the week at the Dell Diamond with the Round Rock Express. We really wanted to take in as much of one homestand as we could. You know, we've spoken so many times about all the different promotions and the different ways that the Round Rock Express and other minor league teams have built community that we really wanted to spend as much time as we could with that community and see the efforts. And so we had four games between Thursday and Tuesday and had four very different experiences, all of them very cool. And again, all of them really tying into whatever the theme, promotion, or cause of the night was. So we basically rolled in Thursday night and it was pints and pups. And here's the thing. I'm a dog person. I'm an intense dog person. I'm the kind of dog person that when I see a dog, I act like I've never seen a dog before. And it's a little crazy. I get it. There's a lot of women in my neighborhood who think I check them out when they're walking and listen. Um, two things. And, and I don't mean it to be insulting. I'm happily married for 20 years and I'm categorically looking at the golden retriever. And, and uh, so I, if, I've, if I've given you a creepy vibe, I completely apologize. It's got everything to do with your lab, your golden retriever, your German. Oh, don't be a German shepherd because then I get handsy on the dog with the dog again, like I've never seen a dog before. You know, we've got two German shepherds. We've got Colt named for a very special University of Texas quarterback. And we have Lord Vader named for a very special Sith Lord. So we've even got the next two dogs names picked out, Springer and Dinger. We don't know when we're getting them. Um, We don't know if it will be. It's going to be sometime between when you're done listening to this podcast and uh, 10 years from now. So Jessica and I are still trying to nail down the date. But it was cool. Pints and pups. And, and I feel like every dog in Round Rock was there. It was just full of all breeds of dogs. Uh, shepherds down to Chihuahuas. It was so cool. But I do have a, a, a letter, a, a bit of a suggestion for the Round Rock Express. And I don't. I'm not one to, to, to offer criticism, but I think this is creative criticism. So I hope that the guys in, in, in Round Rock, the ladies and gentlemen that run the Express, uh, are paying attention. You know, like when there's a foul ball, every stadium plays those sound effects. There's always the breaking glass or the, the car alarm. Well, they do one, and it, it, it's where a dog barks when the ball goes into the backyard. Every dog went nuts. It was hilarious. You know, they heard the dog bark and then 
like all dogs, they heard a dog bark. And so therefore they must bark. And it was pretty funny, actually, and really kind of just made me smile. thought it was really, really cool. Now, Friday, we were going because it was Comic-Con night. So it was going to be our first theme night at the Round Rock Express. And again, uh, super cool. You know, uh, Mike and I both dressed. I uh, I dressed in my Superman shirt. Mike Donis, who came down from Canada, and we'll hear from him a little later in the show, dressed in his Thanos shirt. And just had a blast. Um, they had cosplayers out there taking photos, advertising the Austin Comic Convention that's in town. And and I'm a big comic book guy. Uh, my very first movie that I'll let anybody watch is a movie called Funny Books, which is basically high fidelity in a comic book store. And it was fun to make. But But something kind of struck me when we were out there. And that was, I remember the day when you either liked sports or you liked nerdy stuff like comics and they didn't really collide. They really didn't mix. And I don't know, it just felt sort of cool that we could be out there and having that mix, you know, at that one event. So thought it was fun. And the added bonus is that, you know, the Houston Astros own little Superman, Jose Altuve was out there doing his first rehab start. And, you know, he was so gracious. He signed balls. And there was a moment during the anthem when he's got the, you know, they're out there with their little leaguers and he just kind of puts his arm around his little leaguer. And I just imagine that the little leaguer the whole time was like, oh my God, 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 oh my God. You know, it was just so incredibly cool to see that moment and and see it play out. Now, we didn't go Saturday or Sunday night. We actually had uh, the Astros game on Father's Day. Uh, they did a great job as well. Uh, the Hawaiian shirts were cool. The alternative Astros baseball jerseys for Father's Day were were pretty awesome. And one of the cool things they did was Simba Cam. And, you know, the minute the music started, you had dads all over the park holding their children up like they were Simba from the beginning of The Lion King. So really appreciated that. It was nerdy. But Monday, it was back to Round Rock and we went for Princess Night. Now, you might remember that we covered Princess Night way back at the beginning of the show. And I just love it. I love, again, anything that gets people to the ballpark to discover that, hey, there is this thing that I like happening. Oh, look, and I just found this whole other thing that I might not have found if they weren't celebrating the first thing. So Princess Knight, um, and, and I got to be honest too, the cosplay response was like, it took Comic-Con night and turned it to 11. You had actors out there dressed as Disney princesses doing all manner of photo ops, They actually had like a Cinderella carriage out there. Spike was dressed as Prince Charming and then his handler person was Cinderella, which, yeah, it's a couple of questions we don't want answered. Just a joke. It's a joke, everybody. These are just jokes. But no, it was just so cool. And, you know, and to see the dads that were that were there wearing tiaras with their daughters because they apparently asked them to like. Again, it's all of those things that make minor league baseball so different and cool and Just one of those things that I really, really love about it. It also was dollar hot dog night. And uh, I did my part in driving the round rock economy. So then we finished up the homestand with the express on Tuesday night. And that was a night that was a little heavier. And again, similar to when we covered 22 kill, just kudos to the round rock express for donating some of their bandwidth to help talk about a cause that's important. So. You know, first of all, and this isn't the cause, but it was taco night, taco Tuesday, and they had $2 tacos. And I had done the tacos when they did taco night in the Tampa Tarpons and was unimpressed. Don't know why I thought I'd get a good taco in Tampa, Florida, but 
Round Rock Express reminds us why Texas is Texas because the tacos were great and also inexpensive. Uh, and then it was also they were celebrating the Knights of Columbus. You know, I'm a Catholic. Uh, my grandfather was in the Knights of Columbus. And so it was really cool. You know, I've talked about my grandfather on the show a bunch, but it, it was neat to see those uniforms, see the regalia uh, presenting the colors. But they had also dedicated their night to Alzheimer's awareness. And it, you know, Alzheimer's is a thing that most people have uh, been impacted by. And it's it's a thing that, you know, as I sort of progress in my life and realize that I'm, you know, if I'm honest about it, looking at the average life expectancy of an American male, factor in that uh, I was in the military for seven years around lasers and chemicals and stuff like that, that the, the chances are that I have more time in the rearview mirror than I do through the windshield. And Alzheimer's is a thing that, that terrifies me uh, on a personal level, having seen we had a film that at our festival that we programmed that this beautiful four or five minute animated short that just really breaks down what Alzheimer's is and it destroyed me. And so I'm really glad that Alzheimer's Texas was out there to help raise awareness and try to, you know, see what we can do to fix this. I fully and firmly believe that America is uh, a country that can take on challenges and, and, and win and beat them. And we've done it throughout our entire history. And Alzheimer's is, I think, just something we can take care of if we support each other. And so Alzheimer's Texas, I told them I would give them a shout out. We're going to include their link. And then they have three Alzheimer's walks that are within driving distance of Central Texas of in Austin that if you register and do it, 100% of the money stays in Texas for Alzheimer's. And so those walks are um, on September 28th, they have their Williamson County Walk. On October 5th, they have the Travis County Walk. And on 19th, they're in the Bell County, uh, in, in Bell County doing an Alzheimer's walk. So again, we'll put the link to how to register for these things, but get out, um, do something in the community. It's, you know, it'll start cooling off by then. And, uh, you know, and then the money is going to go help somebody that will impact your life. The Express, we've broken down, you know, their, their, their pints and pups and their dollar hot dog and their Taco Tuesdays, right? Those are things that they do all the time. And then they have their theme nights with Princess Night and Comic-Con Night. And then they have, you know, where they're taking some of the bandwidth, some of their their time, they could be, you know, doing something else and instead giving it back to the community with both what they did with 22 Kill earlier in the season and with Alzheimer's awareness. And so, you know, Round Rock, they are, they are the Round Rock Express, like so many other minor league baseball teams out there, are great community partners. There's a re- they're the reason why we dedicate so much time and our money to go to these games and support these teams and, and, and really help you learn about them because I think that they're an important part of, of our community at a national, but also at a, and even more importantly, at a local level. So thank you, Round Rock, for being such, such great partners and, and really doing that. We do have a fun show ahead of you. Like I said, it is going to the dogs. We are going to hear from the Midland Rockhounds and the Erie Seawolves as our teams in focus this week. Canadian came to town. We're going to talk to him about what his experience was like seeing two baseball games in Texas. We're going to talk to our favorite British baseball fan about the London series coming up. And we speak to members of the Amarillo Sod Poodles after they just won their very first first half division championship in a franchise that is only three months old. So stay with us.
from the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. So we are here for our In the Bleachers segment of Let's Get To, but we're not in the bleachers. I know people who have listened to this show have been like, you've been not in the bleachers more than you've been in the bleachers. But sometimes the bleachers are hard. Like if we go to a, an Astros game at Minute Maid Park, there's 43,000 other people in the bleachers. You're not going to hear anything. But we have a very special guest for In the Bleachers. He is uh, one of my dearest, best, best friends, my brother. Um, Mike Donis is here from uh, down from Toronto, Canada. Mike, how you doing? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so we're excited. So we, you know, we're actually um, in the middle of your trip on Sunday. We're going to go watch your Toronto Blue Jays against my Houston Astros uh, on Father's Day. I can't wait. It's going to be a blast. But you got to do uh, your first Round Rock Express game last night. Talk a little bit about what you thought about the Dell Diamond. It was oh, it was so much fun. Well, and they and they had this 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 pints and pups night going on. Yeah, dogs so, and beer. Yeah, it's like you tell me, hey, we're gonna go watch a baseball game. Great. Oh, it's gonna be in this beautiful open field. Oh, great. Oh, by the way, there's gonna be dogs all over the place. Yeah, I, I, and I cheap just beer. Uh, and cheap beer. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. The, the, the only, only negative feedback I would have for the Round Rock Express, and I think uh, you were otherwise uh, distracted when this occurred, and we'll get to your distraction here. Right. Um, like every other team, they do fun sound effects when there's a foul ball, a car breaking, glass breaking. Well, they do one where it's like it's going into a backyard and a bunch of dogs bark. And all the dogs in the park went nuts when I, that big sound effect went over. And I, I was, totally missed that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was like, woof, woof, woof. So you did miss it. So one of the cool things we talked about, um, you know, uh, so Mike, before we get there, so you, but you grew up baseball fan in Toronto. Yeah. I remember I, when I was a, when I was a little kid, as far as I was concerned, I was going to be a professional baseball player on the Blue Jays too. I was going to have my pick. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that was, that was absolutely yeah, I, I was I was I think seven when okay. we won the first the first World Series, and then eight when we did it again. So it was yeah, like, you, I mean, you, to be a kid, it was like, oh my god, this is just what we do. Yeah, you're like my grandson. My <laughs> That's grandson's right. be like, oh, we just win World Series every year. No, yeah. you, we don't. Okay. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you wait forty three years, Braxton, a year and a half. You're a little entitled. That, I'm gonna rename this show Braxton's Entitled. Um, but and, and, and let me let me go ahead and talk to the people for a second because I have a bit of a streak going. My very, very dear friend and and collaborator of the show, Scott McIntyre's uh, St. Louis Blues, won the Stanley Cup on Wednesday night. And Mike landed in Texas yesterday and watched some Round Rock Express, had a great time, but had another sporting event to watch. So we headed to the, and props to the folks at Round Rock for the beautiful sports bar they put into the park to watch your Toronto Raptors. So tell us what happened with your Raptors. Well, uh, basically we won, uh, and it was, we ended up watching it at two different bars. We, right. We, 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 we started and the then. The first half of the bullpen bar in Del Diamond. Yeah. That's right. And then where did we end up going? Was it a Chili's? We tried to go to Twin Peaks, which, uh, was, was closed. Yeah. And so we ended up in the, in the bar at the Chili's. But which was great because about half of the people there were Golden State fans and half of the people there were Raptors fans. And, and then there was me who had seen a basketball game in his entire life. <laughs> uh, I, I will never forget, though, um, what it felt like to be in Texas yeah. watching the Raptors play in Oakland yeah, uh, and then win, but have half of the people in the bar start singing Oh Canada. Right. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about. So... 
so much about the show is that when you meet baseball fans, um, you feel like uh, like you automatically have a connection. And I, I, if you remember when we were in Toronto last summer, uh, we were at that brewery and the guy had the Portland Sea Dogs hat. Yes. Remember that? And we started chatting about the Portland Sea Dogs. That's right. So you had this instant bond with other Canadians that, that you didn't even know they were Canadian until you all started singing, which we have on video and we'll include as part of the show, <laughs> the Canadian National Anthem. So how was that? Like, how was that connection through sports for you? What did it feel like? Man, it, it's it's hard to describe because it was, it, it was, on the one hand, I felt so great getting to watch that historical moment for our basketball team with you. On the other hand, it felt kind of weird. I was having a little bit of FOMO not being in Toronto with all the people when I looked at all the pictures afterwards, especially. Ironically enough, insane. my wife is in Toronto. I know. We traded places. Traded places, yeah. Um, But uh, so it was interesting because it almost for, for a second felt like we were in Toronto watching the game. And... So it, it was strange to be somewhere else and feel like I was home. And I guess that that's sort of that connective thing you're talking about. It was, I, do, I do think why, it's why sports matters. And yeah. I think especially, I th- and, and look, I don't want to say like this sport's better than that sport or whatever, but I do think it's why I feel that connection with baseball and why I imagine you would feel that connection with basketball because there's so many games. So, yeah, but it is a long season. It's, it's um, I think that connection is super what drives why we care about sports in the first place. Well, and with like with the Raptors, for example, like it's the only Canadian team in the NBA because it's the NBA. <laughs> it's not the INBA, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but that being said, you know, there's, there's such a sense, like as we, as the Raptors have been sort of really developing over the last couple of years, um, and especially this year and especially, you know, during the finals, it has it has been it has become a Canadian thing to right. cheer for the Raptors. So, yeah, tell people about that. Tell people about Jurassic Park and We the North and, yeah. and just how it's grown. Well, yeah, like the like the slogan is We the North. That we're, the, the, you know, the the, the franchise kind of just owned that it's the Canadian team, and you know, especially in Toronto, in in other sports, there are a lot of people. Like in hockey, for example, there are, there are, there are, there are several different uh, professional teams in Canada. Um, and so, so, you know, a lot of people may not like Toronto for that reason, but here it's like, no matter where you go in Canada, people are cheering for the Raptors and there's, there's a sense of national pride. It was, it was the, it was the game five national anthem. And, uh, when, when singing the national anthem, they had a, a professional singer sing the star spangled banner, but then they had the fans officially sing, Oh Canada. And it's, it was just great. Like, yeah. I remember I was watching at a bar and everyone in the bar stood up, took off their hats and was singing at the top of their lungs. And then you see video of Jurassic Park and the, and it, and it, it, it had expanded over, over as the finals were continuing to, to continue down blocks. It right. looks like, and everybody is singing the national anthem. I've never experienced something like that in my life before. And it just felt really, really cool. People from all walks of life, all everywhere, are just kind of coming together for this for this one thing. I imagine you're not going to feel something like that outside of like an Olympics or uh, outside of you know like a World Cup situation where there is you know kind of a built-in national pride. Yeah, and yet even even still, to to be completely honest about it, I don't think even at the Olympics it does feel like that. 
Like, honestly, like I, there was, there was something, there was something different this time and I don't know exactly what it is, but man, it felt really good. I mean, maybe a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Raptors, I mean, this is the first time that they ever won. Right. And I was going to ask about that. So, so they've been a franchise since when? 1995, which is, I think a part of the other thing. I was 10 years old. I actually was around when the Raptors were named. I mean, they were named, they were named the Raptors because there was a poll and they had a bunch of options for names and Jurassic Park was really popular at the time. This was in 94 <laughs> when the naming was happening. Jurassic Park came out the year before so everyone was like, yeah, let's call them the Raptors because Raptors are cool. Right. And like, I didn't even know what a Raptor was before Jurassic Park came out. Right. And no so, one did. No. And so, and then they named them the Raptors. So, for me, the Raptors aren't just, they're not just our team and they're not just the only Canadian team but they're also a team that I not only grew up with and never saw win, but also was a part of the birth of in some ways. I right. witnessed them kind of show up. You know, like I have little art projects from grade four and five where I make like little I Heart Raptors like plates out of clay or whatever, right? right? Like it's cool. And so it's almost like more more so than than any other thing that I've witnessed. Uh, it just feels like it was ours. So, you know, I know um, you generally speaking, once you've kind of gotten over the hump, winning another one, you know, it will happen eventually. Yeah. Do you think, like, you, like as you said, you saw the Blue Jays win too. Mm-hmm. When the Blue Jays, and, and those of you who have been following the show know we've been talking about the Blue Jays farm system and they've got an incredible, if all that talent hits, and I know that's a big if, they will be, they will be a team that people will have to watch out for. So if if two years from now we bring you back on to talk about the Blue Jays winning the World Series, will it feel the way it feels for you right now with the Raptors, or will it be different? I'm not sure. You know, uh, I, I I don't know. I have I have seen the Blue Jays win before. It's not a thing that's impossible. It's yeah. not a thing that you know. It, it, we well, I've seen it happen yeah. twice, <laughs> twice when I was a kid. Um, one of the last few teams to go back to back because nobody's done that in 20 years. Right. Uh, and so I think that. I think that it will, you know, like a couple of years ago, we were really, really, really getting good. And you could and you could see the city starting to come together. Everyone's wearing blue, you know, and it was a thing. That was the, the Joey Bat flip. Yeah. Yeah. That season. And uh, I know so many Rangers fans who hate the Blue Jays because of that dude. Yeah. And I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sure. The Rangers suck anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have we have T-shirts that you can buy with him flipping the bat. Like it looks like a Christmas sweater, but it's like <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Um, So I think that if we really did make it, you know, to the actual World Series, I think that it might, it might get close, but I do think that there's something specific about, something specific about the Raptors, specifically this year, I think that actually might make it stand out uh, in in that way. To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To Promotion of the Week. For our promo section, we're going to focus on what the Rockhounds and the Seawolves have coming up this summer. So the Rockhounds have a blast just about every week. Like a lot of teams, they do do Thursday, Thursday every week. But they also have lots of various ways to access discounted tickets, all in an effort to get people out to the park. They'll do two-for-one tickets. They'll have family days where you can get five tickets for 25 bucks, and they'll have $2 ticket nights. On July 10th, they'll be giving away a hat for their Copa identity, the Maracas. And unlike a lot of teams that do Friday Night Fireworks, they do fireworks every Saturday, kind of mixing things up. Now, a little farther north, and by a little farther, I mean a lot farther, 
The Seawolves will spend the season celebrating the past with everyone's favorite thing, players wearing throwback jerseys. I've seen most of them on social media and they are sweet. They're going to also offer prices for certain concessions at the cost of their first year, 1995. The Seawolves will also be doing Christmas in July next month. And I would just like to point out to the Seawolves, if you're listening, I'm a big Christmas guy and would pay amounts of dollars for anything Christmas in July related to the Seawolves. Just putting it out there. I mean, heck, if you're going to do a baseball show, you might as well get some perks for it. But they also, just like the Rockhounds, do daily food and beverage discounts. So it sounds like there's going to be a lot of fun to be had in Erie. And I just recommend checking out both teams, looking at all the promotions that they have listed on their website. And for any minor league team, for that matter, they really are working to get you out to the park and to make it as fun and family-friendly and affordable as possible. Go, go Astros, a focus on H-Town Hardball. On Let's Get To, we are excited to be joined by our favorite baseball fan from across the pond. George, how you doing? I'm very well, James. How are you? Good, good. Um, and I'm just really excited to talk to you about the, um, about the London series coming up. What, what can you tell us about what we can... I've seen the pictures that you tweeted out of what the park looks like, and it looks pretty mm. awesome. Yeah, it's incredible to see um, the London Stadium transform in front of our very eyes like this. Um, as Londoners, we're used to it both in the original uh, athletics format for the Olympics and um, and the subsequent change to football is in soccer stadium for um, West Ham in the Premier League. So uh, it's, it's it's crazy to see it have a, another guise. And and from the initial pictures, it looks to be you know it looks to be in superb shape. And I really can't wait to see it in the flesh. So we're, what, about 10 days away as we sit here and talk uh, mm. this week? Yeah, t- 10 days away from the, from the series. I think at the, at the moment the only concern is actually really the weather. The weather's been pretty poor here the last uh, the last two weeks or so, maybe maybe slightly longer, um, with a fair amount of rain. So I'm really, we're really hoping that there's not going to be anything, uh, any nasty surprises from a meteorological standpoint. Uh, I think um, it, last year we had an incredible summer where it was almost heat wave after heat wave for our standards. It was extremely hot. Uh, hasn't borne true this year yet. Um, hopefully that won't be the case. I do suspect that with with the amount of um, what the amount of money and the amount of things that's at stake in terms of holding this series, I suspect that they will play through some fairly bad weather if it did go that way. I, don't, I think it would take a lot to get these games called off. But um, yeah, the preparations are all coming together um, in terms of from a, a major baseball point of view. We're seeing um, sort of little features and events and promotional things popping up here and there in London, which we haven't seen uh, sort of up to this point from them, which is really cool. And then um, from a fan side of things, we've got all our events lined up for uh, what we're, uh, we're kind of naming a, a festival of baseball um, uh, over that weekend of the, the, from the Friday, the 28th through to the 30th. And um, yeah, we, we can't wait. We're, we're hugely excited. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to some about that because I've, you know, when we talked earlier, when we first interviewed you, you'd said that mm-hmm. you, you couldn't really feel the vibe of it yet, but that you suspected we would as we got closer. So you know, how is the excitement level? How are the, the meetups going? And, and because it does seem like I'm seeing internet chatter about it now when I wasn't before. Definitely. I think it helps that um, with those photos that were released in uh, the media over here, we're getting a little 
snippets from the BBC, which is always good. The tweets coming out from from their side, which people respond to. Getting the, the advertising campaigns with them. Um, with um, uh, Jimmy Carr, uh, who's a comedian over here, which MLB London have been doing on uh, Twitter, which is it's got, you know, even, even if it gets a mixed response, at least it gets people talking, and I think it's um, it, it's been a good starting point. And I do think that the, the vibe is, is, is coming together. Um, it's hard to gauge from a sort of general sporting perspective what kind of impact it's having just yet, but I think they're really going to ramp up even more over the next week. And, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're hugely excited for... The, the, the Friday in particular, which is the, the day before the series, where there, it, it, honestly, I, I, I might have to run you through the, uh, the list of events uh, uh, that, that I'm personally going through, going to, and um, and um, involved with on that. I don't. Do you mind if I just quickly run through? Yeah, absolutely, we would love to hear about that for sure. Yeah. So um, Friday, right? So there's, uh, throughout the London series, uh, MLB London are holding an event at uh, Truman Brewery in East London, uh, which is like a, it's going to be a sort of celebration of baseball. Lots of, uh, I think it's got capacity for about 2,000 people in there. So it's, from what I hear, it's a really nice venue. There's going to be a stall there. There's going to be all sorts of um, stalls as well, food, food, um, like bulk of food, other things, etc. Which that's, that's in the mornings for, for me because they've, they've sort of uh, allocated slots for tickets, for free tickets for, for people to go and, and uh, kind of sample that. So I'm involved with that at 10 o'clock. As part of our group, um, MLB UK community, which uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, please do check us out. Uh, at MLB UK community, we were very, very blessed to be given the opportunity by Major League Baseball um, to have 200 tickets for, uh, for, for the, to distribute among the fans for the workout day uh, for the actual Red Sox and the Yankees at um, the London Stadium on this Friday, which, which is running from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. And I can't tell you how excited we are as a as a group to be able to to, to get to see these players up close. It's going to be um, something which you know we, we just haven't seen here before. So that's, that's in the afternoon. Um, at, uh, at seven o'clock, there's a talk at the British Library involving, um, his name escapes me at the moment, but it's, it's a, a red, it's actually a red, a former red stone, it's a Hall of Famer, um, which I'm going to pop along to and have a look at that as well. And then in the evening, we've also got our, um, uh, hashtag MLB Meetups UK event, uh, a huge one at, uh, Belushi's in London Bridge, which is, um, uh, the start of for us, which is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, event after event after event. Um, and I'm also sitting in an interview with um, Radio 5 Live on the Friday as well. So it's jam-packed. I, I, it's going to be one of the busiest days of my life, probably. So it, <laughs> it, it's, uh, I, I cannot wait. Um, then we've, got, we've, got, we've got our events lined up on the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday. Um, we, obviously, any, anyone who is coming over, whether they're Yankees fans, Red Sox fans, or whether they're coming from Europe, or whether they're from around the UK, or from elsewhere in America, um, we, know, we are absolutely... Uh, opening our doors to, to, to get them to come and, and join us. In addition to that, as part of the same hashtag MLB Meetups UK movement, over the um, the weekend there are live watch events in um, Nottingham, in uh, Leeds and Worcester, and also up in Glasgow as well. So it's it's, it's all coming together, and um, yeah, we, we are we are so thrilled about it. I was actually talking to um, uh, Anthony Castrovinci from um, from MLB, from uh, MLB Network, and uh, we were talking to him about it in an interview a couple of weeks back, and. Uh, just trying to get the word out there about the movement that we have and we're trying to sort of align that and ally that with what Major League Baseball are doing and, and, and culture and develop and grow the, uh, the the UK MLB fan base. And we, we, you know, we, we know how, how how big a task it is to do this, but the London series is, is, is a fantastic tool for us and we have uh, uh, an amount of access with, with this workout day that we are so thrilled about and so grateful to have. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be immense. 
That's so incredible. And, you know, just having followed you and, and spoke and having spoken to you, like since the season mm-hmm. started, congratulations. I, I feel like you're just doing a great job and really, um, taking this Thanks, opportunity and turning it into something. That's, that's really what it is. I mean, uh, from a personal perspective, I think it's just about hard work. It's about, um, activity and presence and making sure that, the, and, and connection, connecting with, with, uh, with the fans, both Astros fans and just generally with, with baseball fans in, in the UK as well, is, is absolutely imperative and it's, it, that's what it's all about. I mean, the, the, for, for those of you listening who, who don't know as well as being Astros fans UK, I'm also one quarter of um, our MLB UK community, like I was saying, and um, that's really our, our, our kind of mission statement is, is in the name, MLB UK community. We are a community of fans and we want to develop that um uh, you know, we want to go from strength to strength with that. And it's not about personalities. It's not about me. It's not about Dave, who's UK Phillies, or Jack, who's, who's uh, UK Yankees, or um, or Hannah, who's uh, Oakland Days and Pete and Pino's Twitter handle. But it's not about any of us, like as personalities. We just we just do what we have to do, and we really, you know, we believe in what we're doing as well. And it's about, like I said, staying active and, and hard work and. And, and, and appreciating the, the size of the task at the hand, but also recognizing that if you don't ask, you don't get. So um, I'm, I'm ha- quite happy to make a fool of myself in, in, on social media in terms of asking for things because uh, I'm a firm believer that if you, if you do it with the right frame of mind and the right sort of backing in terms of your right intent, the right intentions, I think that the, you know the doors will open. And I think so far um, that you know what's happened has been proof of that, and we, we, we continue to push along with that same um, kind of. Well, we are, um, you know, again, we are more than just a little uh, humbled and honored that you're, you know, obviously uh, a big contributor to our team and we're, we're just really excited to to follow it. And, um, we can't wait to talk to you after it's all over. And I hope you get to, I hope you, I know that you're going to be so busy. I hope you get a chance Mm -hmm. to stop and like really reflect on a, what you've done and what you get to experience. Thanks. No, I, I really. Um, I, I, firstly, I, thank you for, for saying that because it's 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 always um, a motivator for me and 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 uh, a kind of fuel for me to, to to keep working, keep doing what I do, and keep pushing to to improve and, and get and get better and work and work out more ways to connect with people. When I hear people saying how thankful they are about the. the impact and the influence of what I'm doing, um, it makes me understand that what I'm doing is the right way to go about doing things. And absolutely, I, I love contributing the way that I do to um, to you guys and uh, I look forward to, to, to continuing along that line and, and certainly will I'll be um, I'll be doing my best yeah on the on the one hand to um to kind of uh, continue that momentum during this series but also yeah I, I, I will do my best to sort of take stock and reflect on on how immense this moment is for us as a community for me personally as well and um, to really sort of savor it and drink it in because it's it's it's, it's uh, it's a unique moment for um, for British baseball fans. It really, this this uh, yes, there's a series um, that's already been announced for next year between the Cubs and the Cardinals, which is going to be great. We know it's going to be great, but this moment is um it's, it's it's the first time you know the first time is always the sweetest, and this is this this is exactly that. It's a uh, really you know this, these are the days of our lives to be honest. This is it's something which we should be looking back on hopefully in, in 10, 15, 20 years and say remember that and, you know that's that's what we did and that's what we were part of and that's a uh, a big motivation for me as well. Well, uh, again, George, we can't wait to talk to you afterward. Um, and, and for now, we'll leave it there. Thanks for being on Let's Get Two. Absolutely. Thank you very much. 
On deck, the Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. And we're excited to welcome from the Erie Sea Wolves, the AA affiliate of the Detroit Tigers, their assistant GM of communications, Mr. Greg Gania. Greg, thanks so much for joining Let's Get To. All right. So why don't you go ahead and talk about a little bit how you got into baseball and your personal journey to end up being, you know, the, the assistant GM in charge of communications for the coolest looking minor league team out there, in my opinion, the Erie Seawolves. Well, first off, thanks for the kind words about the logo uh, and, and our marks. Um, so I got started uh, it, kind of dumb luck. I mean, I, it, I got started in baseball when I was 16 years old. Um, I was living in Warren, Ohio, my hometown. And we had just gotten a minor league baseball team. It was the Mahoning Valley Scrappers. And so we were a short season affiliate of the Indians. And I was looking for my first job. And I went to this massive job fair. And there was probably 700 people there. And I was just looking for anything because I didn't want to work, you know, at at a fast food restaurant or, or somewhere like that for my first job. So I got a second interview. And as a 16 year old, I totally flopped it. Um, and then I was working with uh, our, our women's basketball team at the high school at the time and doing some uh, you know, public address announcing and things like that for them. And the coach called the guy who had interviewed me and said, hey, you need to hire this kid. He's good. Uh, I vouch for him. So they ended up hiring me in the concession stand. And so I got my start slinging hot dogs, basically. And I was making pizzas and pretzels and chicken tenders in the concession stand and just busted my tail and did everything I could to get noticed. Um, and so I, I worked my way up and eventually went into the GM's office when I went into college. And I said, you know, I, I really want to be a part of the organization. Is there any internship roles that you may have? And so he said to me, well, what are you going to school for? I said, well, you know, I'm, ideally I'm going to school for broadcasting. Um, what I, I, that, that's my passion. That's what I want to do. Uh, but I'll do anything. And so he goes, well, I don't know what our broadcast situation is going to be the following season, so I'll keep you in mind, um, but I'm sure we'll find something for you. So I get a call in, I think, February of my sophomore year of college, and the GM was like, hey, how would you like to be my, be my broadcaster? And I'm like, uh, yeah, absolutely. So I had been doing some uh, college broadcasting at Bowling Green, um, did some, some baseball, some basketball, a little bit of football. Uh, and he basically hired me blind without hearing any of my stuff and just based on knowing me and knowing I wanted to be there. And so I got lucky and got that. I uh, did that for three years. Uh, once I graduated school, I was looking for something full-time. And, you know, for the most part, at the low levels of, of, of minor league baseball, you're not going to get an opportunity to be a full-time broadcaster. Uh, those are, are few and far between, I think, still to this day. Um, they generally hire people more on the, along the lines of the intern role. So I was searching for jobs, and it was kind of ironic. The GM of the team, uh, I was invited to his wedding, uh, the guy who wasn't going to bring me on full-time, and ran into some people who used to work for that team who had worked for Erie. That at the time, the teams were mutually owned. Uh, and so same kind of thing. Hey, I don't know what our, our broadcast situation is going to be next year, but send me your resume, and, and we'll see what we can do. So the broadcast situation opens up in Erie. Um, I come and interview, and boom, I get it. Um, so I got here in 2006, uh, just as the broadcaster in media relations. Uh, did that for a few years, um, and then we had a GM change here after the 2010 season. So new GM comes in, so I survived the uh, the the change there, and then 
after about a year or so, I want to say I was promoted to assistant GM of communications, and that was 2012, uh, and I've been in that role ever since. So kind of dumb luck that I got into it uh, and just worked my way up and did everything I needed to do to get noticed. Uh, and that's how I am where I am today is the assistant GM of communications. I handle all of our broadcasting, all of our media appearances, uh, and that's really the crux of what I do. So, you know, I, I love that you do play-by-play, do the broadcast. You know, I, there's a quote, I don't remember who said it, maybe you can correct me, that baseball is the only game you can see on the radio. And, you know, I grew up, you know, as an Astros kid listening to Milo Hamilton. Like, that's kind of the voice of my childhood. Who are some of the, uh, who are some of the play-by-play, you know, folks that you grew up listening to that kind of influenced you? I loved listening to Joe Tate with the Cavaliers when I was younger. Uh, I would I would sit in my bed at night and I'd tune in Joe Tate. Um, you know, obviously not the same sport, but uh, that was the guy that uh, I just loved his passion and his excitement. And you know, as the Cavaliers finally won it, I wish he had been on the call for that because uh, he had seen so many lean years. Um, but but he was one of the guys I, I grew up listening to probably the most. Um, you know, I, growing up in Ohio, you listen to Tom Hamilton. Uh, you, you get the Pirates broadcasts, um, but I, I really didn't have a, a baseball guy that I kind of emulated as, as, when I was younger. I just, you know, I just enjoyed listening to it. Um, but probably by far the guy that I'd say influenced me the most and, and how he told the story was was Joe Tate from the Cavaliers. So currently, the Astros guys right now are Robert Ford and Steve Sparks, and and I love love listening to both those guys. And I was walking around and. Uh, you know, it was an it was a game where the Astros got their doors blown off, and it started to dawn on me the pressure on a baseball play-by-play person to really keep a broadcast interesting and fill time in those gaps. Like, how do you do it? What do you come up with? What to say? How do you take a game where people should probably turn the radio off and keep people engaged and listening? Because that's got to feel like a lot of pressure. Uh, it, it is at times. Um, you know, there people. You know, it, it's funny because we'll, we'll have a blowout win. You know, if you win a game 15 to 2 and everybody's like, oh, that's an awesome game. Well, you know, it, it is for the fans because they see a lot of action. But for the broadcaster, lopsided wins and losses are probably the worst thing you can have because there is so much dead time. It's not a competitive game. Um, you really uh, you have to have some some material banked up that you want to talk about. Um, you know, the, the fail safe is always, Hey, what's going to, what's coming up at the ballpark in the next couple of weeks? Um, and things like that. And you, you try and dive in a little more storytelling about prospects and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, those are some of the toughest games one way or another, um, for, for me. And I think all broadcasters as a whole, um, and on a side note, I'm, I'm actually good friends with Robert Ford. Uh, he, uh, he was in Binghamton in the Eastern league back when I broke into the league. Uh, and so I've, I've known Rob for a long time and, and chat with him every once in a while. Great guy, by the way. Yeah, you know, I, I, I love listening to him. It was, of course, an adjustment for me, again, growing up with Milo. But no, I love both those guys. And what I really like about Robert is his Twitter presence. He will take questions from aspiring broadcasters, and he talks about his minor league days. And I think you know, anytime somebody like that can take time to try to connect with people over social media, it's, it really does, I think, the sport as a whole good it's good and i think you know it really shows off to him to be a really good man you know he is uh, he is very good at that and one of the things that i have always said is that you know when you get to that level you never want to forget where you've come from and there are a ton of guys 
at the major league level who have come from minor league baseball. And you know exactly what it's like. You know what the grind is. You know about riding buses. You know about sitting in marketing meetings. I mean, we wear just about every hat you can have in the minor leagues. And so when you see guys like Robert who always take the time and, you know, he's done seminars at the baseball winter meetings before, uh, he's really good at that. And it just speaks to his character and what a good guy he is to be on the level that he's at. Cause it's very easy. You know, when you, when you make it to the major leagues, you're, you're making a lot of money. You, you can easily lose sight of where you've come from. And I think that's something that, you know, the good ones always remember that. Well, um, obviously, Robert has my favorite baseball call of all time, which was uh, which is going to lead us back to the Erie Seawolves and the Tigers, because we don't get there without Justin Verlander. Uh, so, first of all, thank you um, to the Tigers organization. But sp- you know, it's funny. I was on the bus. We were. I can't remember where we were coming home from, Richmond or Reading or somewhere, and when that all was going down, and so it was going to impact the Seawolves uh, and the and the minor league system as a whole, because had they traded him. And they did. You know, we didn't know who was going up, who was leaving, who was coming back. Would any of the prospects be going with him? Uh, so it, that was a, an interesting night to just be riding on the bus and kind of following on Twitter. And at one point it was like, okay, the deal's dead. And then shortly after midnight, no, the deal's not dead. It went down. Uh, so really intriguing to kind of be on the minor league side of that, watching it all transpire. Well, and that leads directly to my next question. You know, you have the job of calling what is probably a malleable roster throughout an entire year. So, you know, as, a, as an exec in a minor league club, how much direct, in, direct involvement do you have with the parent club versus, you know, how much autonomy as the Seawolves do you have? Like, how does that all balance out? And then how does that affect your job in communications? For as far as the actual roster goes, we have no control over that. Um, so basically, when we have a roster move, I mean, the Tigers will call us at the end of March and say, hey, we're sending an email with your first roster of the year. And then every time we have roster moves, either myself or our team president will get a text from the Tigers farm director saying, okay, after the game tonight, we're moving this guy here, this guy here, and more moves to come, or this guy here, this guy here, we have somebody coming in. Um, and so that's one of the big things that, um, that, that of how we interact with them uh, when it comes time to, to roster moves. Um, and then once we find out moves, and a lot of times it'll be during games. So if, say, Toledo has an injury, uh, then it's myself and our athletic trainer and our team president on the ground here trying to figure out, okay, here's the move. I'm on the air. Trainer's in the dugout. Team president's running around the ballpark. Uh, and we have to figure out how we're getting this guy to the airport or if he's driving, that's probably the easiest thing. Um, but how we're getting a guy to a different city while we're all doing our jobs. Um, so that's how we kind of impact uh, the impact on our side when it comes to roster moves. Uh, I think last year we had 139 moves. And while it seems a lot, I think from a, a standpoint of the Tigers are rebuilding, uh, I don't think that number is going to shrink because they're trying to see you know, who can – do what at the next level. So a lot of guys have been moving quickly up the system. Um, But, you know, that's really where our involvement is as far as on the executive side of how we handle things like the roster. Um, But like I said, no control over it. Basically, our control is the business operations, uh, making sure the team gets from city to city. Uh, I, I book all of our team travel um, you know, incoming players, outgoing players. It's myself, our team president and our athletic trainer who, uh, handle all the moves. 
you guys are like independent filmmakers. You know, you guys have to do it all. That's that's nuts. Yeah, it really is. I mean, like I said earlier, we wear so many different hats, uh, and it, it's it's every day is different, and that's what's exciting and both tiring during baseball season. Uh, is because you never know what the next day is going to bring you. Uh, and and the, the biggest part of that is we don't know what's going to happen at other affiliates. You know, if there's an injury in Detroit or a trade happens or an injury in Toledo, uh, that impacts rosters top to bottom in the minor league system. So we have to always be ready. Uh, and really, you know, we're always on call. I mean, even when I have days off, I'll be on the golf course and I'll get a phone call or a text that says, hey, we got to move this guy and it's an off day. Figure it out. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's challenging at times. So one of the things, you know, because you guys have, a, again, a, a flexible roster, marketing a team based on, you know, a player like Verlander really isn't a possibility, but you have the brand of the team. And so that leads me to the question of the logo change because I, uh, everything about me loves that, that and I'm a, I'm a dog guy, like everything I, I, about it loves the logo. What prompted your logo change and how has it been received? So the original, so the logo's changed four times since 1995. Um, they were originally affiliated with the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, and that's where the name Seawolves sea came from. Was It's a slang term for pirates. Uh, so for four years as a, a short-season Pirates affiliate, they had a mark. Uh, two seasons when they went to AA as an Angels affiliate, they had a logo. And then after the Angels left, they went back to the original mark in 2001, but changed the colors a little bit. Um, and so it was that logo all the way up until the 2012 season. Um, it, it was one of those situations where we didn't love the logo. And it was challenging at times because the color scheme was uh, – it, actually, it's the San Francisco Giants, basically. It's, it's, um, it's black and orange. And so there's not a whole lot you can do with that color scheme. And a lot of our vendors at the minor league level – uh, didn't always have the best-looking apparel in those colors. And quite frankly, if you're not an orange person, you're not buying the gear. So we wanted to go with a color palette that kind of transcended all different demographics and skewed male, female. And so when we came up with uh, with a new mark, and it was designed by uh, Studio Simon out of Louisville, Kentucky, um, Dan Simon's done a ton of minor league logos. He's done Super Bowl logos. So he was the one who was kind of the mastermind behind the new marks. And we saw, I mean, gosh, we we saw so many different PDFs with different ideas and different looks for how the wolf's going to look. And when we finally settled on it, we were pretty happy with it. Uh, and then since that time, um, obviously, you know, you're trying to sell the most gear you can. And we didn't want to change the team name, so we wanted to keep Seawolves because that's still unique enough. Um, you know, it's not Yard Goats or, or Rumble Ponies or Rubber Ducks, but it's a, it's a good name. And so we, we knew that. We had good brand equity. We just didn't have a good mark. And so that was really what prompted that. And then since that time, uh, we've done a lot of different things that have helped to extend that brand. Um, you know, whether it be using secondary marks on team caps or changing the uniforms up a little bit from time to time. Um, last season, we actually introduced two new marks. Uh, one of them was our, uh, our our nickname in town is the Howlers, uh, and it was a, a nickname that the media used, and we never embraced it, um, and just basically referring to a howling wolf. So we created a, an entirely new brand called the Howlers, uh, and we had on-field caps and jerseys and apparel to go along with that. Uh, and then 
you know, being from Erie, Pennsylvania, it snows a lot. Well, we had a record-breaking snowfall on Christmas uh, of 20, it would have been 2017, Christmas. And so literally that night, it was probably, I was back at home. My team president was at home with his family in New Jersey. And I I will admit, I was probably uh, a few too many glasses of wine in at the time. Um, And and he starts texting me, we got to play on this snowfall. What can we do? And I said, well, you know, we've always talked about using the the snow wolves. Uh, it was something that on on the uh, that's something that was brought up many times with us uh, in our in our marketing meetings. How how can we introduce something with snow? And it just kind of stuck. And so we go, all right, all right, let's do a a Twitter contest. And it, since it happened on Christmas Day, if we can get one thousand two hundred and twenty five retweets on a tweet about us rebranding as the snow wolves, then we'll do it. Uh, and so we created that mark last year, uh, ended up selling a snowblower sponsorship to Aaron's company, which is out of Wisconsin, uh, and sold a ton of Erie Snow Wolves gear last year. And now it's a, a part of our brand. So I, I think one of the big things in the minor leagues is you always have to be very pliable about your marketing. And when opportunities come up, you have to take advantage of them. And that was just an example of how we were able to take what was already a very good logo and extend our brand in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got some Snow Wolves gear too. So yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed. What am I supposed to do? But speaking of things like the Howlers and the Snow Wolves, and we spoke to the um, marketing director for the Durham Bulls, and they're going to be playing as the Lollygaggers this year. Why the, the genesis of playing with alternative brands? And, and do you feel like that's because that's one of the things I absolutely love. You know, Round Rock, they played as the Armadillos because they were the Armadillos in The Walking Dead. They, were, they shot that. So how, how do fans, generally speaking, react to the, to the changing branding? I think they embrace it. Um, it. It's one of those where it's fun. You don't do it all the time. Um, the Howlers, it, since it was kind of already a part of our brand, um, we used it a lot more than just, say, you know, a one-time thing. Um, like the Snow Wolves was last year, and we're going to do the Snow Wolves again this year uh, as well. Um, so the Snow Wolves is more of a one-night promotion every year, but the Howlers is more of a, a season-long, and we're going to keep doing that again this season. I think for the most part, fans embrace it. It's fun. You try and, and tailor your in-game entertainment around your different brand that night. Um, and quite frankly, you know, w- with minor league baseball, there's, you know, when you're when you're operating a business, business costs never go down. And so from a business side of it, you always, you're never going to truly reinvent yourself, but you always try to do different extensions to help everything from, you know, your marketing messages. If you're rolling out just eerie sea wolves every year, that can get stale. So you have to think of different ways to incorporate different parts of your branding uh, in order to just not, not, not just sell things, but to market your club and, and stay relevant. Um, and funny story about how the, uh, one of the first teams to ever rebrand as a different team was the Bowling Green Hot Rods. And our team president, Greg Coleman, was the assistant GM at the time uh, for the brand-new team in Bowling Green. And he was the first guy to create what could have been night. Uh, and so what they did was they went back to the original five names of, of what they could have named the Hot Rods, and they picked, I believe it was Cave Shrimp, um, and I don't know exactly what that is, but it's something with Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, and so they rebranded as the Cave Shrimp. And so now you see a lot of teams going with these what could have been nights if we had named our team XYZ. Uh, some teams just do it as we're going to rebrand as 
you know, whatever the team name is because it's something with our city. Um, and so that's, uh, that was kind of the first, one of the first teams to actually do that. Uh, and so we have a guy in our, our team president who is very forward thinking in that sense where it's like, if we can do this, it's a fun promotion and let's roll with it. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that in, in kind of the promotions, right? That I think those are the two things that minor league baseball does better than anybody else. In addition to the, the, the off branded stuff. What are some promotions that the Seawolves have coming up this year that you're looking forward to? And, and what are some of the, your favorite ones in the past? So this season uh, is all, it's our 25th season as the Seawolves. So we are, everything is going to be centered around that. Uh, we're embracing all of our team history. Uh, we are having fans vote on our 25 seasons all-time team. Um, we're going to have some a mashup of, of a throwback jersey that we'll wear on Thursdays. Uh, but everything this year is centered around that. Um, and, and that's basically our main marketing message. Um, the other thing that we are really excited about is we are participating in the uh, in the minor league baseball Hispanic uh, Latin initiative, Copa de la Diversión, and uh, we'll be announcing uh, a, a completely new brand um, coming up in March of what the team will be branded as during four games this season uh, as a part of the, the COPA program. Um, and it's going to be 72 different teams throughout minor league baseball. Uh, and so it's just trying to reach into different segments of your community uh, in, in, in doing a Hispanic marketing initiative. So those are the two big things we're doing this year um, from, a, from a promotional side. And obviously giveaways are, are huge, and we'll be announcing our promo schedule shortly. Um, and, you know, we do giveaways every Friday night. We do our fireworks on Saturday night. We have our dollar beer night, buck night on Monday night, which is dollar beers, dollar hot dogs, uh, dollar soft drinks, um, and, and dollar popcorn. And that's always one of our more uh, popularly attended games. We all be doing Bark at the Park this year at all? We do. Uh, and, and we are actually doing four Bark at the Parks this year. Uh, we've had such a demand for it uh, where we're getting, you know, two, three hundred dogs a night at that event uh, and sometimes even pushing 400 dogs. So it, it was one of those where it was like, OK, we're going to run out of space for dogs. So we're going to add a fourth day this year. I would bring my German Shepherd, but he ended up managing the team and that'd be awkward for everyone. Thank you so much, Greg. Have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So we got a chance to get out to Midland last month to check out the Rockhounds, and it was actually one of our best experiences so far. To talk about the Rockhounds is the Director of Marketing, Matthew Berry. Matthew, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, like I said, it was just, uh, it was great, and, and I definitely want to talk about what my experience was like at the ballpark, but I wanted to hear just from you, like, how did you get into baseball in the first place and end up being the Director of Marketing for the Rockhounds? Yeah, so I think I have a pretty interesting story compared to how some other people get into it. Um, uh, grew up in uh, playing baseball my entire life. It ended up working out that I could play in college. Um, played three and a half years in college. I had some injuries and some uh, family issues throughout college that kind of took away that four-year full career. But uh, ended up wanting to, you know, continue in the path. Uh, you know, didn't see myself doing anything other than sports. My dad's a basketball coach, college basketball coach for over 30 years and brother works in college athletics. So it's kind of like a family business for us being in sports. So, um, 
you know, set out looking for, for jobs in sports, didn't go to the winter meetings or anything like that. Just found the opportunity here with the Rockhounds to start as an intern, um, week after graduating college, moved out to West Texas from West Virginia and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and started a career that I, you know, did not foresee being the way it has been so far. So, um, started in stadium ops, got into sales, moved into marketing, and now I'm uh, director of marketing here for the Rockhounds. I imagine outside the similarity in name, there's not a whole lot similar between West Virginia and West Texas. Complete opposite. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I will say this too. One of the really cool things um, about my experience this weekend was also just meeting some of the other staff who we're actually going to have on the show in different different capacities. Uh, We're going to have Danae Braden on who does a lot of the photographs for you guys. And mm-hmm. Jess Canaster, who's one of your interns, was we ended up talking baseball for 30 minutes before the game. It was a blast. So just a really welcoming environment. Now, you guys are the AA affiliate for the Oakland Athletics. And how is that relationship working with the A's and, and how have they been as partners for you guys? It's been it's been amazing, you know, um, 20 seasons with them. So uh, if that if there's any words to describe it, it's been it's been a great relationship. I mean, uh, they they support us in, in a, almost everything that we try to do here. Uh, they you know they sent us some of the best players. Uh, I think the minor league system has seen in years. Obviously, winning four straight championships is something un, unheard of, and you don't see that you know very often. So now most of those guys are you know playing for the big big league clubs. So. Uh, you know, they, they've been very supportive. They're, they're out here all the time. You know, we get to, we get to interact with uh, a lot of their player development staff throughout the seasons. Um, you know, when we have special events in the off season, they, they come out and, and support us. So it, it's a really great relationship and we're happy to be with them. You know, it's interesting because we've had the, the Omaha storm chasers on the show and then we've had the round rock express. And so the storm chasers, I think, is the only team that have had has had a, that's been on our show that's had a relationship with their parent club longer than what you guys have had. How does that make it easier knowing you're not doing like what Round Rock had to do, which was reacquaint themselves with a major league parent company, parent parent club, excuse me. You know, I think I think it, it's just a it, you feel like you're family with them. Um, you know, it's you you know what you're you know what to expect each season. It's nothing, nothing from the on, on field part of play that you, you, you have to, you know, plan for differently. It's always the same, which, you know, is a good thing and a bad thing, but in this aspect, it's an amazing thing. One of the things that I noticed being at security bank ballpark was just your connection to the past, to the great players that played for the rock hounds before talk a little bit about keeping that connection going and what, and what that means. Yeah, so when you walk around, uh, we have all those Hall of Fame banners along the concourse, um, having guys like Joe Madden, that was our manager at one point, to Jim Edmonds, who has come through here. Uh, you know, it's it's important to us to keep keep them alive within our traditions here. So a lot of our fans uh, have been with us since since the Cubs and, and the Angels days. You know, the that generation is starting to kind of fade away, but we're hoping to continue to build that type of tradition here in Midland with, with professional baseball, professional affiliate baseball as well. So, um, you know, as you go around the ballpark, there's other areas like the, above the batting cages near the, the clubhouses, we have our road to the show and it shows some of the great players that have gone through in the recent years, um, our championship teams. And then to where you're talking about the oil field, uh, companies having their, 
their big company picnics. You know, if you go along those those stands where they serve the food, you know, you're going to see see some of the best guys that have come through here in the last you know ten years that, and what teams they play for now. So it's not you know we're we're not above showing other other teams and where those players are, but you know we want to continue to show people what kind of talent we have coming through here and what what kind of experience you're going to get, you know, being a part of what we do here. One of the things that I've noticed too about the fans, uh, the people of Midland, they were in on every pitch. Like I mean, it was very much like a minor league game at times where people were obviously having conversations, but nobody left. People stayed to the fireworks show. They were in on every pitch. They were they were into the game. I think it has to have been one of the most involved minor league crowds that, that we've seen since we've been doing the show. Yeah, we we really enjoy what we're able to the, you know the product that the A's are bringing bringing to the table on the field, and then you know the the game day experience that we bring to the table. Um, and, and we've been seeing a lot of success this year, and. You know those fireworks shows are are very popular. We do them on Saturdays, where a lot of a lot of places would would advertise Friday night fireworks. Um, we know we know the area. We know when they want them, and and Saturday nights are big. And in schools out now, so you're gonna see we're gonna see an influx of of younger kids and and their parents and families coming out. Where the you know the early early months of the season, you don't see that as much, just because there's so many things going on. And now that that school's out and with high school sports being as big as they are around this area, you know, we're, we're one of the only sports organizations still still operating at, around the summertime. So, you know, it's a big deal when people come out to the ballpark, uh, everything from the single game buyer to these huge company picnics that we host. Uh, we're always looking at putting some of the best things possible in front of everybody. So when you come to the ballpark, it's always a different experience, but it's always a positive one. Yeah, one of the things I, that I kind of caught when I was kind of just moving around and, and talking to different fans was for as much as Major League Baseball wants to talk about they have a fan problem there, have attendance problem, I thought they don't have it in minor league baseball and they certainly don't have it in Midland because everybody, again, was really into it. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've had some great crowds this year and some rowdy ones too, and I like to see that. I like to see people getting involved. You know, when the umpire, you don't agree with the umpire. I want, <laughs> right. I want to make sure that fan has the has the platform to let that umpire know. So, we, we enjoy we enjoy hearing hearing the crowd getting involved. So probably the umpires are the only ones who don't appreciate the close proximity of seat to field because yeah, there was definitely some <laughs> some some anger about about the boys in blue for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a bad seat in this place. So, you know, no matter where you're sitting, you're you're right on top of the action. And we we the field was designed that way. Uh, you know, we want people to have the best experience, and they we want them to feel like they're part of the game. Yeah, like I really appreciate the fact that you can pretty much move. You know, except for when you're behind the batter's eye, you pretty much can move around the entire park. Um, mm-hmm. I think stuff like that because a lot of people do just want to get the different sight lines. Um, but one of the things that minor league baseball has done better than anybody really is your promotional stuff, your giveaways, you're getting people out. And I know y'all have some fun ones coming up. What are some things that people can look forward to as they kind of move into the summer? So we, we got a lot of different things moving. So with our Copa Copa games this year with the Metamoscas, we have a giveaway each one of those, um, Friday nights and we've, we've been trying to, you know, expand on what we normally do. Uh, I think this year alone, we actually have more giveaways than we've ever done in any season. So, um, you know, we just, we just recently did beach towels and, and, uh, Serape blankets. 
I know a lot of fans are into those. We have uh, Sugar Skull bobbleheads coming up here oh, wow. on the uh, the August 9th for that. The fedora hats are actually before that one, July 10th. Um, I'm just looking at my notes right here. I kind of have them all scattered around. Nobody in minor league baseball is very organized, I don't think. So <laughs> they are. They're going to cringe when they hear me talk about these because they're all, all out of whack. But um, So, yeah, we, we, we're doing fedora hats. Um coming up on, on July 10th uh, for Copa and then the uh, the the Sugar sugar Skull Bobbleheads on August 9th for the Copa giveaways. And then we have kids' jerseys June 7th, and uh, every Saturday we have fireworks. So if you guys want to come out to the ballpark, you know, grab you, grab yourself some some uh, hot dogs and, and some cold beverages and check out fireworks. You know, where your where your spot on Saturday nights. But we got a, we got a lot of cool things coming up. Some theme jerseys. We are auctioning each jersey that we do theme wise off, right. and our our uh, our Copa jerseys. We're auctioning those off this year as well, and those all go to different charities throughout the season. So um, those will be live on Live Source. It's a it's a new auction app that. I know a lot of teams are partnering with. So if you guys are ever in into uh, trying to trying to get yourself one of these awesome Rock Hounds jerseys that we have a theme with, uh, they'll be on there throughout the year. Yeah, I know. I'll be looking at it now. Right now, the Rock Hounds are there are a few games under five hundred, still very much in the race for the first half of the Texas League. But you guys have a legacy of winning that not a lot of Texas League teams have, particularly recently. I mean, how much do you guys kind of? hang your hat on on actually winning so uh, if you looked at anything we did last year coming off our fourth straight championship i mean we were kind of throwing it in people's faces i mean but that's expected four straight texas league championships um first time a team's done that and i think it was 90 plus years to win four straight uh you know it's it's something that we are very proud of um you know there obviously teams in the league were looking at us like how are you guys doing this you know, and uh, that that all goes back to that relationship with the A's being so so great. Um, if you look at the standings right now, I believe we are in last place in the South Division. Uh, but I will say, I don't think in the, those four years that we won the championships, unless it was 2014, that we actually won the first half. So we are a very very good team late in the year. We've even last year when we didn't even make the playoffs, we made a run and we were very close to sneaking in and we're a dangerous team in, in, in September. So um, it, we have a track record and, and, and people talk about that. So hopefully we, we can, we can pull some, pull some things together here. Uh, it's a very close race in the South. So whenever the, we do those uh, trips to the North league, um, you know, it, it, it can change, change the game tremendously so keep an eye on us i think we're gonna do fairly well here i think we're what are we like three and a half back as of now so um and we're in last place so that means that there's a huge run uh in this south league that that we can make so yeah i mean i would think if you look at the trend if you look at where it mirrors to those those uh the professional the parent clubs you know the A's and Astros are also fighting it out, so it makes sense that the hooks and the and the Rockhounds are going to be to some degree competitive. Uh, but can you explain it to people? Not a lot of people understand that like there's a first half champion and a second half champion, and then what happens? Yeah, so the way it works is uh, right. It, it basically the All Star break breaks up the season, and so that is on June 24th, 25th, and 26th is the All Star 
the week of the all-star game. So those three days are off for the league, except for the all-star games always on that Tuesday. So the players that are um, involved in that is, are going to be in Tulsa this season um, playing in that all-star game. So the first half is from April through that, that part of that last week of June. And so each division crowns a first half champion. So they are automatically in the playoffs at the end of the year. And so basically what they do there is then the records restart at zero on June 27th when the, the second half of the season kicks off. And so it's basically like you play two seasons in one. Yeah, that, and I guess I, you know, what will be interesting to do to, to watch that for people going forward is I would imagine teams that become buyers or sellers at the All-Star break at the parent club level is going to affect – the talent in the minors, whether they become buyers and therefore are trading prospects versus if they become yeah. sellers and getting them. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And if you have a lot of guys on that 40 man roster, you know, you, and you didn't make, you didn't win the first half, you, you, you know, your season might run, run short at the end of the year because they may take some of your best talent off, off the field for you. So, you know, uh, it's all hit or miss every year, and that's that's the that's the the best thing about minor league baseball is it, you never you never know what you're going to get sometimes. And it's always it's always a great experience, and even on the field with the players, you know, some of those guys could be here three years, some of them could be here a month. You just never know. Yeah, and I guess as we wrap up, one of the questions I wanted to ask about the A's because we've talked to other teams where the parent club definitely just doesn't care about whether the minor leagues win their champion. I mean, are, do the A's care? Like, are they going to pull somebody up if you guys are in the thick of it? Knowing, um, You know, that's that's tough because it, it depends on where the other teams are as well and then where they're at. Um, they, they may need a guy that if we don't have, we might be in some trouble. So um, they definitely do care about their, their developmental system. So, uh, you know, I think, I think having us win four straight championships – Having, I believe Beloit won won one recently. Um, we have a new AAA with Las Vegas this year, and I, it's their first season as a team with the new stadium and the new new uh, branding and everything. So I know that's that's important to them, and they want all their 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 minor league system teams to be successful. So um, you know, I can't I can't for sure speak on that, saying that they would or wouldn't, but. Uh, I have a good feeling that the A's would take care of us if we needed it. And pour one out for the Las Vegas 51s. That was one of my favorite brands in baseball. <laughs> yep. Um, and so as we go, last question, what is your go-to baseball movie to get you fired up for the season? Uh, you know, everybody probably would think Bull Durham. Um, I'm not a Field of Dreams guy. I don't dislike the movie, but... You know, it's it's kind of like a sad movie in my eyes a little bit. It makes me make you know jerks the tears a little bit. I'm a big um, little big league. Okay, yeah, I like that. All right, it's a it's a that's a choice that's not been made yet. Excellent. So, so Matt, again, thanks so much for being on. Let's get to and uh, we, can we touch base at the end of the season? Yeah, sounds good. I'm I'm looking forward to to it. And uh, if you guys haven't already on all podcast uh, providers, make sure you subscribe to Let's Get To. Thanks, man. And we're going to put all the links so they can be following the Rockhounds. You guys are one of the best at the social media game as well. So kudos to your crew. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, 
James Christopher. And so as we close out, let's get to, we have our team of the week, and that is the Amarillo Sod Poodles. And we're excited to welcome Sam Levitt, the voice of the Sod Poodles for their first season. Sam, thanks for joining the show. Absolutely. No problem. So I understand that uh, y'all are our team of the week for a very, very cool reason. Uh, What happened uh, yesterday? Well, Amarillo won the first half of 2019 in the Texas League South in uh, pretty dramatic fashion on, on Sunday and Monday. They needed two wins. They needed Midland to lose two games. And both days, both those results happened. And it set up a, a pretty cool scene yesterday here in Springdale, Arkansas, and, and certainly in the first ever half that the South Poodles have played, uh, the first half of their existence to, to win a first half title is certainly really special, and it guarantees there will be postseason baseball in downtown Amarillo this September. So I think for everybody involved, for the coaches, the players, myself, the terrific fans that we've had come out to Hodgetown all season long. I mean, we're averaging 6,000 people a game, nearly a sellout every night. I think it's a really special thing and really exciting. Well, that's what I, what I think is so cool because y'all have gone from zero to baseball in about three months or four months and obviously a lot of work before that. But what does taking this first, you know, getting this first half division championship, what, is, what do you think it means to the town and the team? I think it means a lot. Honestly, you know, this has been such a unique experience in the sense that the fans are so locked into the baseball side of things, I think, in a way that you don't always see in minor league cities. Uh, This is a a market, a region, a community in Amarillo and in the Texas Panhandle that's waited for the return of affiliated baseball for almost 40 years. And they've acted like it from the way they've shown up. I mean, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we had sellout crowds, near sellout crowds, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, this past week. Uh, They've shown a ton of support. They're really, really into the baseball. They get loud. Uh, I have a flood of messages on social media every single day when we're playing. Uh, it, they're invested in this team and the players and the result on the field in a way that I think only happens in this type of situation where you have a first-year team in a brand-new stadium and in a market that has had uh, you know, so long without minor league baseball. So I, I think it's really special. I mean, there's still some work to do. Obviously, the most special thing – that could happen would to, to go win in, uh, would, would be to go win a Texas League title in September. But you take one step by guaranteeing postseason baseball, and I think that alone uh, is going to be really, really special for this community. And I, I think honestly, it, it means a great deal to these people. And just from what I saw on social media and, and talking to some folks this morning, uh, I think uh, people are really proud about what this team did and how they battled back in this first half. And I, I think it's very, very special. You know, it's it is it's really cool that we have you on because we've kind of been following the sod poodles since the name was announced, and we've had the general manager on and, and things like that. But your social media game, and I've actually listened to your call a few times. You do, I think you do a great job calling a ball game. But um, the word around the Texas League, like everybody has asked me from other Texas League teams, we've fought. Have you been to Amarillo yet? And I love the fact that y'all have seemed to have built a real baseball tradition, and really, again. Only a few months. Yeah, it's it's been a really neat experience, and I think it's gone about as well as anybody could have hoped for in a lot of different ways. I mean, if you haven't been to the stadium yet, it's great. I mean, a tremendous ballpark, brand new. It's a fan's ballpark. I mean, it has every amenity you could want, so many different ways to experience the game, a lot of unique aspects to it. 
you know, and, and really in every aspect, it's, um, you know, from social media to the brand they've created uh, to a name that, you know, some people seem to like and some people didn't seem to like when it first came out. And now it seems like everybody's come around to it and really loves it in that community based on what we see at the ballpark and the gear all around town. Uh, it, it's been pretty cool. And, and I think that's been a part of what's been a, a cool experience for me is is helping build something brand new and something that you could mold on your own, really, whatever way you wanted to do it. Uh, so for me on the social media side and the broadcast side, it's been a it, it's really been a once in a lifetime kind of experience. And, and I think no matter, you know, in my career, where I go and what I do uh, from Amarillo and, and uh, hopefully I'll be here for years to come in Amarillo. But, you know, wherever kind of this road takes me, I, I can already tell that that this inaugural season will be something I look back on and, and really appreciate uh, the uniqueness of it. Uh, how exciting it's been, and uh, it continues to be a, a really special experience. So you're right; it's it's uh, it's been pretty darn cool. And I don't think that fans fully invest, like, and even down from the major leagues down. But the radio and TV guys, y- y'all are just as invested as as anybody that 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 puts on the cleats and get on the field. So it is it's a, it's a big deal for you too. It is. I mean, we travel with the team. We do the crazy bus travel and, <laughs> and we get uh, we get ready every night and do the game every night. And we're, we're with these guys every single day. So you're exactly right. You do get invested in it. I mean, I, I try to keep kind of a level head about it and not get uh, too emotionally invested in the ball games and in the standings and and things like that, because my job is not to be a fan. My job is to be a broadcaster. And I think those are two separate things. But you're right in the sense that when your team does win uh, when you play well, when you have a special moment, it feels special to you uh, because you're there every day, because you get to know the guys in the clubhouse, because you're spend so much time with the coaching staff and ride the bus with them. And, you know, a good example is we played Sunday night at home. We bust through the night and got to Springdale, Arkansas at 6 a.m. And, and played yesterday and won and won a title. So it just goes to show you how crazy this stuff is and, you know, how crazy the life is during the summer uh, in the minor leagues and especially the Texas League with the way the travel is. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, because I'm a part of it every day and and, um, you know, the only guy that's not a player or a coach or uh, a member of the Padres staff who travels with the team every day, of course, it feels uh, very special to me. Well, Sam, that's uh, we're looking forward to following you all in the second half. Listen again, really enjoy listening to your call of the game and uh Really want to thank you for joining our show and, and really, like I said, good luck in the second half and good luck in the playoffs. Yeah, no problem, guys. Appreciate it. And again, as we close it out, we want to say congratulations to the other teams who have clinched a first-half division championship. Congrats to the DeMarva Shorebirds and the Lexington Legends who clinched their respective divisions in the South Atlantic League. Congrats to the Great Lakes Loons who won the Midwest League Eastern Division and will join the Quad Cities River Bandits in the playoffs. Congrats to the Fort Myers Miracle, who won the Southern Division of the Florida State League. And congrats to the Dundon Blue Jays, who won the Northern Division. Over in the Carolina League, congrats to the Wilmington Blue Rocks, who won their Northern Division and will join the Down East Wood Ducks, who won the first half Southern Division. In the California League, congratulations to the Vizalia Rawhide and the Rancho Cucamongo Quakes, who won the North and South Divisions. In the Southern League, the Northern Division was won by the Montgomery Biscuits, while the Biloxi Shuckers won the Southern. And wrapping up, I want to talk a little bit about bunting. Bunting, particularly for old school National League thing, used to be this like viable 
part of an offense. But now it seems to be the greatest divide in baseball if you're butt guy or you're not butt guy. And much like our American politics, there seems to be no meat in the middle. Every single time the Astros lose, there's a guy on the phone call talking about they should have bunted. And then a violent reaction almost from the host about how you how dare you suggest that people bunt. I acknowledge that baseball is 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 changed. We are in the baseball of the true outcome with a strikeout or a home run. Offense is based on a bloop and a blast. Manufacturing runs isn't a thing that happens anymore. And that's fine. Games, games evolve. Games change. But look, there are times when you need to bunt. And if it's late in the game, you've got um, nobody out, a guy on first, and your eight-hole or nine-hole hitter is up, and he's already hit into two double plays, bunt him. Even more obvious. It's, it's late in the game, extra innings maybe, runner on second, nobody out, bunt him. Because you get the guy to third, and then you can score on a sacrifice fly. So look, I'm not saying that it needs to be like it was. Automatic. You lead off, sing, lead off guy gets on and you know for a fact the bunt is coming to move him to second with one out. I'm not suggesting that that be the way baseball is played. Not when in, in any of the good lineups like the Yankees or the Astros or, you know, I don't know, the Twins maybe, where you get home run production, really good home run production from one through six or one through seven. But if it's your eight-hole hitter and, again, has grounded into two double plays already in the game, then, then manufacture a run. It's okay. You got to win games. But, you know, really and truly, if you're super bunt guy or super anti-bunt guy, do we have to fight about that the same way we fight about whether... Republicans are fascists or Democrats are, are, are socialists in this country? Can we have one thing that can have a reasoned and measured debate that maybe sometimes there's a place for all philosophies in the game of baseball? But that's just me, Mr. Uh, Mr. Peacekeeper, you know? I mean, I have very, I have strong political feelings. I keep them off the show because I want them to be a refuge from that thinking, from, you know, for those of you who are fans of the show, and, and I love that we have fans, you can count on an hour and a half of your week of it just talking about baseball and not talking about politics with any specificity. That's going to be our promise. And we are going to talk about baseball. And I know that it's June and it's wedding season. So just remember a couple of, you know, a couple ideas, um, you know, China, it always makes a nice gift, you know, maybe at, like see where they're registered and, and see if you can get a, a place setting and let's get to 